You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to episode number 230 of You Don't Know Flack. I'm your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's episode, we will be revisiting the topic of cruises. Once again, we did an episode on cruises all the way back on episode 169. We also retouched on it on number 213. But here we are once again. I just got back from another cruise, and this is the first cruise we have taken since the COVID pandemic. So things are a little different in the world of cruises today. So I want to talk about some of those differences, some of the fun things we did, and just update a lot of the information that I gave on previous episodes. This episode of You Don't Know Flack was made possible by my Patreon supporters, patrons like BPG, Richard Smith, and Cobra Kai. If you would like to support my podcast and other creative ventures, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All of my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, random videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more details, visit my page. Again, that is patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. So uh, I have been keeping track of this episode's notes on my PC using a Commodore 64 emulator. Why did I do it that way this time? Because I just purchased the world's greatest keyboard. And I will tell you about that and other things that have been happening in my life on this week's Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading time. Loading time. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flag. It's been a few weeks since I recorded. I was away on work. I was away on vacation. And now I have made my way back here in front of this microphone. So welcome back, everybody. And welcome back to me. Uh, I am recording using a different system than I have used in a long time. For many, many years, I have recorded the podcast, all my podcasts, in fact, using Audacity. Then I export it, then I run it through, uh, sometimes, usually most of the time, I run it through Levelator to try to boost the levels and do some, uh, it's a really cheap and fast and quick way to do um, uh, EQ settings and, uh, to boost the audio. Um, but what has happened uh, in the last couple of episodes is while I'm recording audacity has randomly stopped. It's randomly locked up. I don't know what the problem is. I looked online. I found other people with the same problem. And let me tell you, there's nothing more frustrating when you're a technical person than to go online and Google to try to find a solution to a problem. And then you just see these, the tech people that are like, well, you didn't post what version of windows you have. Have you, um, did you, have you updated? Have you run updated? Yeah, we did all that. (laughs) 
I'm not going online looking for help because I didn't update my machine, you know, or, you know, and then they'll just sit there and go on and on and on. Well, how can we help you if you don't give every version of every DLL you've ever touched? Listen, it has nothing to do with it. It's like the program just randomly started doing something weird. There's got to be a solution to it. And you're a weirdo. You're not helping the situation. And so I just found person after person with the same problem. I mean, I could read their questions and they're asking the exact same thing. And they were having the same thing happen, which is uh, audacity would just randomly stop. And it looked like it's still recording, but it would just stop recording. It's never done that to me in the past. I uninstalled it. I reinstalled the version that I've been using for five, six, seven years. I installed, uh, I installed a, a specifically old version that I know works. And it worked until two thirds of the way through the podcast. And I happened to look up and notice that it wasn't moving anymore. And I'd been talking for 10 minutes into a program that's not recording my voice. And so I just uninstalled it. Now <clears throat> I do all my editing in a program called Vegas. I've talked about Vegas. I've been using Vegas for 20 years. It is a program that is traditionally very expensive because it does video editing. It does audio editing. It's a little bit overkill for what I do, but I did buy a license. I bought it with Patreon money. I talked about that on my Patreon. Uh, I may have talked about it on a podcast, but that's one of the things that Patreon made possible for me was to get a, uh, an actual licensed uh, official copy of Vegas. And that's what I've been editing with for so long. It is, uh, I, I use the phrase a lot. It's like mowing your lawn with a Sherman tank. I mean, it's a little bit overkill, sure, but it works. And I know the ins and outs of this program. I do all my YouTube videos with Vegas. I do all my podcasts with Vegas. So it just makes sense. So recording in Audacity was this other step. I had to open Audacity, record, <clears throat> export the WAV file, exit out, and then run it through the WAV file through Levelator because Levelator won't use an MP3. It, it has to be an uncompressed WAV file. And then take that file and bring it into Vegas. Now, Vegas has a record button. <laughs> so why do I not record directly in Vegas? I don't know. It's just old habits. It's just when you know programs and you're trying to do stuff on the fly, it's easier. It's like wearing, you know, why don't you buy new underwear every week? Why do you wear that old pair? It's got a hole in it. I don't know. It's here and it's comfortable and breathes <laughs> and audacity breathes, but uh, I just can't, if I can't rely on it, I can't use it. So I have set up a new audio recording change. I am recording directly into Vegas pro. I'm not going to export it, run it through Levelator. I'm just going to use the EQ that's built into Vegas. I'm just going to use the uh, track compression that's built into Vegas. So hopefully we end up with a decent sounding product. If it's terrible, let me know. You know how to get a hold of me. I, I list all my stuff uh, at the end of the show and at the end of this portion of the show. So if it's terrible, let me know and, uh, and, and we'll readjust. Um, I, uh, I told you I've been away for two weeks. And when I got home, uh, I had a problem with my laptop. I was copying some files around and uh, my computer just blue screened. Uh, I, I use a laptop for my uh, primary computer at this point. I just have a dock where all my monitors and everything uh, connect to the dock. And when I was copying the files, everything got really slow. The machine started blue screening. I couldn't boot into Windows. It was blue screening over and over. I haven't seen a blue screen in years and years, but <laughs> they're back. 
and not enjoyable. And so I, through some troubleshooting, a lot of troubleshooting, I realized that the problem was the D drive. Now my laptop has two, uh, I guess they're called M.2 ports for hard drives uh, for these little, um, they're not SSD drives. I mean, I guess they kind of are SSD drives, but they look like a memory stick. They're NVMe drives. And one of them had went bad. So I started trying to get all the data off of this local hard drive. It is a two terabyte drive and I was getting one gig per hour. <laughs> that was the transfer speed. And I had about 850 gig worth of stuff that I would like to get off this drive. So I did the math. It was going to take five weeks. I just, I wasn't, I'm not going to live that long. I know. I mean, I'll probably live five weeks, but I don't want to do five weeks worth of copying, you know? And so uh, I called my buddy, Jeff, we did some troubleshooting and uh, I have another laptop. It's actually my work laptop that also uses those kinds of drives. And so I put the drive in that machine and I used a Linux boot uh, USB stick with Ubuntu and boot it up and I was able to access the drive in normal, regular speed. And so I purchased a, uh, replacement drive off of, uh, Amazon, a different brand. Now the, the old brand was Kingston. And I think Kingston is a good value, trustable brand, but, uh, I decided to go with a Western digital black. It was, uh, you know, within $20 either way. This one was, uh, $139 for a two terabyte drive. And I put it in, but I also ordered a USB. It's like a USB cable with a, a little adapter on the end where you can plug in an NVMe drive and almost use it like a USB stick. And so I decided I could use that in the future. And so just as a test, I plugged in my old bad drive and it works great. <laughs> It works totally fine. I don't know what the problem was. And the only thing I didn't do in my troubleshooting was reseat the drive into the same computer in the same slot. I was moving it around. I was doing all these things, but I never just unplugged it and reseated it. Now, that's not something I want to get in the business of doing. Every few months, this drive is uh, less than six months old. So I don't want to be taking apart. Uh, by the way, uh, disassembly laptops, what a pain in the butt. You know, I mean, I grew up in the, the era of those, those eighties and nineties PC, you know, mini towers and big towers. And let me tell you, uh, I mean, I probably, um, like if knuckles could talk, mine would just bleed. <laughs> I'd cut my knuckles open so many times on opening those old cases, but, uh, I sure do prefer to removing 28 screws off the bottom of this thing and then using a plastic tool to try to pry the bottom. It just, what a, what a pain in the butt. Uh, but I did get the new drive installed. Now in retrospect, I wonder if there was something go wrong with that drive. As I sit here and I slap my hand right near the microphone, I wonder if there was something go wrong with that drive that was causing audacity that was triggering that problem in audacity. I'll never know um, because I've, I've changed too many things at this point, but I wonder if that was the case, but regardless uh, everything's back up and running. I've got the newly purchased drive plugged in. I've got the old drive that no longer has a problem as a USB. Um, I'm not even using it for anything. I'm, I'm real gun shy about using a hard drive that's failed 
<laughs> I don't like doing that, but I will keep it in case maybe I need to transfer a lot of files or, or let someone borrow some files or something. I might use it for that, but for day-to-day -day usage and storage, no, it, it's off the list. So uh, anyway, that's, uh, that is, um, that, that disaster has been averted and we are back up in the world of the living uh, this is the, the last few days for the I Adore My 64 film. That is the documentary slash film about the Commodore 64. I think it focuses more on the U.S. side of things, the NTSC things. I hope it meets its funding goals. I want to see this movie so bad. Um, and uh, they're, they're not near their goal, and there's less than a week left. So if you have interest in supporting something like this, you know, Man, I was a guy that didn't support stuff. I was a guy, you put it on Kickstarter and I would just sit there and go, well, I guess when you put it up for sale, I'll buy it. But the thing is, I saw things come and go that never went up for sale because they couldn't get the funding to finish it, you know? So, um, uh, I, I'm a, also, I'll, I'll just say this. I've got karma in my life to make up for it. Like, um, when people say like, I mean, if you think about albums, like MP3 albums and you go, yeah, I downloaded an album. I didn't pay for it. I listened to it. I said I was going to pay for it if I liked it. I never paid for it. I never got around to it, you know, and you go, okay. Uh, but what if you said it was 10,000 albums or, I mean, a lot of music and a lot of movies and things that uh, you can justify it however you do. I've got a lot of ways to justify it if you want to hear them all about downloading MP3s and movies and stuff like that. But, um, but now financially, I'm in a different place than I was, you know, even 10 years ago, um, even five years ago, you know, uh, when you got two teenagers and you're trying to buy cars and put them through high school and do all these things, you know, your money goes, and when you're looking at money at the end of the month and you say, you know, if the kids need gas money to drive themselves to band practice versus me you know, getting a Taylor Swift album that I will never listen to more than once, but just out of curiosity, eh, I know it's, I know, I know it, it's, it, I can sleep at night. Okay. <laughs> that way it just doesn't bother me, you know, but now I am in a different place, you know? And so when I see these films, when I see these things and they're doing a Kickstarter and I believe in the, the product and I want to see it and I want to help them out and I want to make it happen. I do. So I, I, in a way I do feel like I'm making up for uh, lost time. Um, you know, I've talked about this on the Commodore 64 and a lot of things, you know, I, I, I have a, a collection and people say, you know, what was the favorite, your favorite game you bought as a kid? I go, none. I never bought a game as a kid. I had a Commodore for 10 years. I never bought a game. Why would I? They were, they were on BBSs. People were giving, people gave me games faster than I could play them. People gave me games literally faster than I could download them, you know? So, uh, why would you buy games? Especially when you're a kid, you didn't have any money, you know, but now I do. Now when I see Commodore 64 games, people are developing them and stuff. I go, yeah, I'll, I'll kick you some money, you know, um, uh, that, uh, uh Sarah, uh, Avery, um, there, there's several, uh, the, the, um, what is it? Ah, Icon 64. I mean, there's several companies that I've purchased games from because, now as an adult, you go, yeah, somebody worked on this. They put it together. They put a lot of work and it's worth, it's worth the money. And also the thing they always say is, uh, do you want them to make more? 
<laughs> because if everybody pirates something and no, they don't get any money, they're not going to make more. And I want them to make more, you know. So it's in my vested interest to support these people. So yeah, I've I've uh, matured in that way. I do support things that I can afford to support. So uh, the uh, funding link is on Seed and Spark. Dot com that, that's like a seed that you plant the word and a and d and spark like a firework so seed and spark.com forward slash fund forward slash i adore my 64 film the 64 is a number or uh i'm sure if you if you need the link ask me or just google i adore my 64 film i think you could go to i adore my 64 film.com and find the link to that so um, speaking of things I want to see, I just got contacted by my buddy Amigo Aaron from the Amigos podcast who said this month he is bringing back Conversations from the Dark Side. This is his show where he talks about dark and spooky matters. It comes back occasionally. I think this is probably the second or third year that he has brought the show back in October. And I uh, am completely flattered that he has asked me to join him on some episodes. So I think the first episode is going to be this Friday. It will be live on Twitch on the Amigos Retro Gaming channel. So if you already follow Amigos Retro Gaming on Twitch, you'll see a notification this Friday and we'll be going live. Uh, I think it's seven o'clock central, eight o'clock Eastern, but double check that if you need a link or uh, forget the time, I will be talking about it on Twitter. So if you're not already following me on Twitter, go follow me. Twitter, uh, I am Commodork on there, and I will definitely be posting links to the show on Friday and more information about the show. But I am totally, totally, totally looking forward to that. You know, there is uh, a level of excitement when you see a project that uh, you love and you would love to watch, and then you get invited to be a part of it. It just makes it so much more special. So I'm definitely looking forward to contributing to that once again this year. Um, <clears throat> I talked at the top of the show about uh, getting a new keyboard. I just got a new Red Dragon keyboard. It's a clicky, clicky keyboard. I love it so much. Uh, it's also a LED keyboard. You can download software. You can literally, if you're bored, you could go through and program Every single key, a different color, if you really wanted to. There's also, you know, several dozen different effects if you want the keys to, the colors to trickle down like the matrix or wave like a rainbow from left to right. Whatever you want to do, it'll do all those things. Um, <clears throat> my um, vision is at times, it's it's a weird bag because I have to have a lot of light to see what's going on on my desk and to see my keyboards at this point. Um, but sometimes that messes with my streams and with the camera. So I turn the lights off, but then it's difficult for me to see the top of the keyboard. And this thing is a perfect solution. Now I bought a cheaper version, a cheap led keyboard for about $20 on Amazon. I didn't love it. I didn't love the way it feels. Um, I've talked about this, but sometimes, man, you just buy a keyboard and you, and you start typing on it and you're like, man, I want to type a novel. <laughs> <clears throat> it just, it's, it's like, I, I want my finger, my fingers want to be on this keyboard. And, um, uh, Jeff had a red dragon keyboard. He tried to talk me into it and I'm like, no, I don't want to spend $50. I'm only going to buy a $20 keyboard and I've bought five $20 keyboards 
and none of them are great. And so I bought, finally bought the $50 keyboard and it is so good. I love it so much. Um, you may not ever see the keyboard, but if you're on my streams, uh, you may hear it because it is loud and, and clicky, but um, I just, I do love the way it feels. So expect a lot of words coming from me in the near future as I tap around, tap, tap, tap on this uh, new keyboard. And speaking of new uh, technology items, devices, I just got an iPhone 15 Pro Max. I've had an iPhone 11 for several years, I got that when it was new. Before that, I got an iPhone 6. So that's about my range. I try to stretch them out. I'm, I can't be buying a new phone every year. I try to go four, five, uh, you know, six years if I can. I try to make them last as long as I can. And, um, uh, but I, I had my, my eyes set on the 15 for two reasons. One, I really wanted this new camera. I wanted all these new camera features. Mine, mine is uh, pretty dated. And number two, USB-C charging. No more lightning cables. Goodbye, old cables, except for I have lots of old phones and <laughs> things. So hello, old cables, come back. <laughs> uh, but this uses USB-C. I will tell you, uh, I've only had it for a few days. Um, in the car earlier today, I had a... USB battery pack and I plugged the USB battery pack into the phone because I haven't tried that yet. And uh, when I got home, uh, I would say my phone was at 75% when I left and the battery pack was at 75%. And when I got home, my phone was at 50% and the USB battery pack was 100%. <laughs> so my phone charged the battery pack instead of the battery pack charging my phone. Uh, so I don't know if there's a setting to tell it which way uh, to the USB charging should go, but that was, that was unexpected. So, um, and I'm wondering if I didn't just use a, it was a USB C cable on both ends. So I'm wondering if I use a USB a on the battery pack to see on my phone, if it would, because I, it won't charge that way, uh, because it just so happens on my battery pack, USB C is in and out. So, uh, but anyway, that was interesting. Uh, I've been going through the new camera settings and I got to tell you, it, it's, um, we're used to, I'm used to my parents, um, and not specifically, not specifically my parents, but let's say people from that generation who don't understand things about technology. Like, you know, the old joke, like, oh, you know, they can't program a VCR or they can't do this or that, you know? Um, <clears throat> but there are things on this phone that I don't understand, <laughs> um, uh, or, I mean, I kind of understand how the technology works, but I'm just blown away. The The default camera app in the iPhone 15, it came with the latest uh, iOS 17. Uh, you can take a picture, you know, now of flowers or a person or uh, a, what an animal, whatever, and it will identify it in the camera app. I mean, when you're looking at your photos, it'll say, hey, yeah, this is a, this kind of flower. This is this kind of bird. And I know there's software out there that does it, but I've never seen it built into the actual camera and phone app before. So that that's pretty mind-blowing. I mean, some of the stuff that it does is crazy. And, um, of course, you know, in RAW mode, you could take 48-megapixel cameras. Man, I've been saying this for a long time. I did a podcast probably 10 years ago, maybe longer, when I bought my DSLR camera. And, uh, you know, it was so much better quality than my phone, 
that I was like, yeah, the phone's convenient, but the, the DSLR is better quality. I mean, unless I needed to take a picture all the way across a football field or something, I would never take my DSLR. I don't take my DSLR anywhere anymore. Um, uh, this, uh, the iPhone has 5X optical zoom now, and then you can zoom in digitally <clears throat> to make it um, 10X. So, yeah, I mean, can I take a picture, you know, like halfway across my neighborhood? Maybe not. But, I mean, what am I taking pictures of that are so far away? You know what I mean? Um, so, anyway, um, I will tell you one thing. I think this is an iOS uh, issue, iOS 17, but they, they removed the ability to use custom uh, ringtones or sounds for alerts. So they work for ringtones, but, like, they don't work for custom text message sounds or custom email alert sounds. And I think that's, I think it's a bug. I don't think it's something they would just remove, but I got, we're going to have to wait and see for a new update to see if that comes back or if that's something that they remove. So anyway, I know that's a lot to take in. That's a lot of updates, but I've been away for a lot of weeks and a lot of stuff has happened. So that's what's been going on. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. You know what I didn't talk about? I'm going to talk about this for 30 seconds. Is I had planned this week to do a lot of van camping because I thought I was going to get furloughed. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I did an old episode on furloughs. Uh, I don't know if I've talked about furloughs. Actually, now that I think about it, I have blogged a lot about furloughs. Um, and so I really thought that was going to happen. It looks like it's going to, they're kicking the can down the road for 45 days. So uh, around Thanksgiving, we'll see what happens. Um, just as some of you have emailed me with concerns, uh, or feeling concerned, you know, uh, about me. And I appreciate that so much. So I got several really nice emails when people saw that the furlough was coming up and, and know that I work for the federal government. Um, but I, I'll say this, we now, we learned our lesson from that 2018, 2019 furlough where I didn't get paid. And my wife and I were both federal employ uh, employees at the time. So neither of us were getting paid for about five weeks. And not only was, was that, uh, did our income stop coming in, but that was at the time where we had just moved out of our old house and bought this new house that I'm in and the the seller backed out of the old house. So not only did I get furloughed, but I instantly had to make two uh, mortgage payments, one on the old house and one on the new house, plus pay movers fees. And it drained us in a hurry. And we were looking at having to do it again, two more. And if we had done that, that would have wiped me out. That would have put us basically in the hole in the bank. Um, so we learned our lesson. Well, here's one lesson. Don't own two houses. <laughs> I mean, unless it's a, a rental property or something, but don't just, don't just keep a second house around just for a rainy day. Uh, so we learned that lesson. Uh, but the bigger lesson is, you know, have more in the bank, have more money available, more than you think you need. And so we have, uh, enough to pay for several months worth of rent and, and utilities and, and all those sorts of things. So it would have to be a pretty bad furlough to bring me down. 
Um, and, um, uh, so, so yeah, we're, we're ready for it. I was the grasshopper. Now I am the ant. <laughs> I've prepared for that winter to come. So if one does happen, I'll be okay. And it'll be lucky for you because all I will have to do is, uh, either sleep in my van or make podcasts. That's it. Or videos. I'll just be streaming and creating content 24 seven. So, uh, you guys cross your fingers <laughs> for a furlough. It'll be good content wise. So. Um, I've got, uh, my notes loaded in from the cruise. Again, I had typed those on my new keyboard in the Commodore 64 emulator using QuickWrite, my favorite, uh, word processor for the Commodore 64. So everything's loaded up. I'm tired of talking. Let's talk some more about cruises. Our trip begins two weeks ago. We had purchased a cruise. We've been paying on this cruise for about a year. Uh, we could have paid it off quicker, but it's easier to purchase it a year in advance and make short, small payments over time. And that way, when the cruise arrives, um, it doesn't you don't get hit with this big uh, uh, you know price tag all at the end. So it just it almost feels like a a free cruise, like a cruise you're just paying a little bit for all along. So that's what we we do now. We we find a cruise that we want to go on, and uh, we just make little payments over a year or so. Um, now, timing could there could be surprises if you if you purchase a cruise a year in advance. I mean, who knows what you're going to be doing in a year? And so, as we were getting ready to leave on our cruise, I was watching the news because there was all these news reports about a tropical storm. There were hurricanes a blowing. Storms were coming in, and I told my wife, I said, listen, they're talking about this hurricane. It may hit the Bahamas. And my wife said, you are dumb. We're going to Cozumel. And I go, well, is that by the Bahamas? And she said, why don't you look that up? And it turns out that uh, they're about 700 miles apart. <laughs> Bahamas are pretty far east from Florida, and Cozumel is pretty far west from Florida. Um, uh, I will say that uh, in my defense... I got on a boat one time and went to the Bahamas and I got on a boat one time and I went to Cozumel. So in my head, those two things were close, <laughs> which is pretty dumb guy logic, but that's, uh, that's how it had worked out in my head. So it turns out we were nowhere near the storms. Uh, the storms did not affect us at all. I, I read online, people said, Hey, maybe those storms will make your boat, uh, more unsteady. It'll be, there'll be more rocking and things like that, but nope, it did not affect us in the slightest. So uh, we, uh, we, we skipped, not skipped, but we, uh, we escaped, uh, the storm coming in. I, I listened on the way to our cruise. Now we were leaving from Galveston, Texas, which we drive from Oklahoma city to Galveston. And on a previous, uh, one of my previous cruise podcasts, I said that that drive was 12 hours. Well, I got to tell you, I looked at Google maps. It's eight hours. <laughs> It's like eight hours and five minutes or something. So I don't know where I got 12 hours from unless we stopped and, and took a nap or something like that. Now, I will say that that uh, time for the drive could be extended because from my house, we had to drive through, uh, we, we go straight south on I-35. And so you got to go through um, Dallas and Fort Worth and you got to go through Houston. And, and those are areas that, depending on the time of day, can have big traffic issues. But we were driving on a Saturday, so we didn't hit typical you know, morning traffic or, or 5 p.m. traffic, things like that. So it wasn't a big problem for us. 
Uh, our first stop along the way was at Windstar. Now, Windstar uh, claims to be the world's largest casino. It is on the Oklahoma-Texas border. It is a very, very large casino. I will give them that. They, you, I mean, to see everything, you're going to walk and you're going to walk and walk and walk. And uh, my wife and I enjoy going to casinos. So we built a little extra time in this. And this is what I said. This was the deal that I proposed to my wife. I said, listen, we're going to each take a $100 bill. We're going to go into the casino. We're going to bet what we want to bet. I mean, we're going to bet that $100 and then that's it. So if you if you win, great. If you lose, that's fine. And then we're going to get out. We're not going to spend all day there. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go bet $100. So she said, fine. We walk into Winstar. And there are these machines that I don't know that we've played before. And they're just giant, you know, video game looking machines. <clears throat> and I put a hundred dollars in and, uh, I hit, so this was my, this was my strategy. Uh, if you bet more, you win more. I mean, if you, if you place higher bets, now you also lose more because <laughs> you're betting, you know, I, I love those old, I, I used to talk about my favorite machine were these ones that I call five way it's five lines. It's like, um, line across the middle line across to the top, the bottom, and then that X pattern, right? So if things line up on any of those five lines, you win. And the ones that I loved were a quarter. And then you were betting five quarters because it's five lines, right? Uh, so it was a dollar 25 per spin. I used to love those games, but they're really hard to find now. But a lot of them have that same game, but it's a dollar times five. So it's $5 a spin. And I don't live there financially. <laughs> I don't live where I'm going to go spend $5 a spin and do that for long periods of time. I just can't afford to do that. But this is, this is my deal. We walked in, I saw these machines, and I think max spin was like $350, something like that. And I said, here's my deal. I'm going to put a hundred dollars in at three I'm going to get 30 spins or whatever. And then that's it. So if I hit something big, great. If I don't, then I'm out the hundred dollars and away we go. I put my money into this machine. I hit max spin on the first spin. I won $150. That's on top of, uh, I mean, that doesn't include my money that's in the machine. So, uh, just to clarify, I put a hundred dollars in, I spun one time, things went crazy. It gave me another 150 and it says now your amount of money that's in the machine is $250 and 60 cents. And I hit cash out <laughs> and I said, I'm done. And Susan said, I haven't even played yet. I said, I played, I spun one time and I want $150. I took my money out. Now, Susan did not have a hundred dollar bill. She had some twenties and she put $45 in a machine for some reason. That's an odd number to put in, but that's what she put into the machine. And within two or three spins, she was up to 90. She had doubled her money. So I said, listen, let's go. Let's just go. And she said, okay. So we were at the casino for five minutes. We just got some free money. We went to the bathroom and we left. And by the way, again, world's largest casino. You could walk. I mean, this thing is like a mile long or something. Uh, we saw like we were, we went in like 22 feet into the casino. Like we walked in, we found a machine, played it once some money left, <laughs> walked out immediately and had spending money, uh, for the entire day and for a big part of the trip, you know? So, uh, that, that was how the trip started, started off on a great foot, a not so great stop 
Uh, well, no. Uh, let me tell you. Second great sco- uh, stop is uh, Bucky's. So, so if you're not familiar with Bucky's, if you're not from the South, let me tell you about Bucky's. Bucky's is a chain of convenience store slash gas stations. But to say a convenience store, if you're thinking about a small 7-Eleven or Circle K or even a, a, a Wawa for you East Coast people, uh, it's not like that. When you walk in, this is like the size of a neighborhood Walmart. It is gigantic. The gas pumps outside, I think, I mean, there's got to be 30 or 40 gas pumps. It just goes on forever. It's gigantic. And then you you might be thinking, like, what is in a convenience store that size when you walk in? Well, what is not in a convenience store that size? Um, I mean, all kinds of snacks, all kinds of food, uh, all kinds of clothes, all kind of uh, or clothing, souvenirs, everything. So... First of all, they have um, their mascot, which is Bucky the Beaver, right? And they have all kinds, everything you can imagine with Bucky the Beaver on it. I mean, hats, shirts, uh, shorts, swimming shorts, uh, towels, <laughs> scarves, I mean, shoes, um, everything, everything, right? And then they have all this food, like all the food that you would normally see at a convenience store, and they have a lot of it. But a lot of it is their brand. So they have like Buckyos, which are like Funyuns. And they have their own brand of, of chips. So it's all stuff that they make that is similar to other brands, but it's Bucky. They have Bucky Jerky. They have Bucky. I mean, just all this stuff, right? Uh, if you go if you go online, if you go on YouTube and look for Bucky's, um, uh, you'll see some of the stuff on there. Now, in the middle of the store, they have a... Um, uh, sandwich place where they make like pulled pork sandwiches, sliced turkey, like smoked meats and stuff. So anytime we go buy a Bucky's, uh, we always stop and get a sandwich. They also have a large pastry counter in the back where they make fresh donuts and pastries. Um, and then the, the main reason to stop at Bucky's on top of all that is Bucky's has the best bathrooms in the United States. I will put it up against any bathroom. And when you walk in like, toilet stalls. Um, and first of all, they're, they're, um, not cinder block, but it's like brick in between the, the bathroom stalls. So they feel very private, right? It's not like there's a, uh, a flimsy partition thing or something. They're very nice bathrooms. And I'm going to say the men's bathroom has at least 40 stalls in it plus urinals, plus whatever else. I mean, it's gigantic. And there are one or two bathroom attendants in there, like full time. It's not like one of these places where they go, Oh, we clean it once an hour. There's a guy in there all the time, just constantly cleaning. So they are the best bathrooms. I look forward to using Bucky's bathroom. I said it, <laughs> quote me on that. Uh, Wikipedia says there are 58 Bucky's that are all located in the following States, Texas, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Tennessee. So you got to kind of be in that part of the country. You notice there are none in Oklahoma. I will tell you that earlier this year, there was a post on Facebook that said Bucky's is coming to Oklahoma and people lost their minds. There was hundreds and hundreds of responses. And the guy who posted it finally had to come out and say, I'm sorry, it was an April Fool's joke. It was on April 1st and people were mad uh, because people love their Bucky's. So... Um, that was, uh, that was a good stop. Now here was a, a bad stop and not bad for us, but, um, my wife, 
I, I love listening to all kinds of podcasts, including true crime podcasts, but my wife is not, uh, doesn't listen to a lot of podcasts, but she does watch a lot of Netflix documentaries, and she watched one from 2022 called The Texas Killing Fields. Now, without doing an entire review, uh, it's a three-part series that's worth watching, but the gist of it is, is that there is a section uh, along I-45 in Texas uh, between Houston and Galveston where uh, the way that it's pitched is that at least 30 women have been murdered and their bodies have been found in and around that area. So women have been abducted or they've been murdered. And it all started with uh, in the 80s. Well, it doesn't really. It starts in the 70s. But but uh, the modern story starts in, I think, 86, I think, when uh, a body was discovered. And when the authorities went there to try to find out the identity of the body to, you know, to, to investigate the crime scene, they found more bodies. And they ultimately found, I believe, three different bodies that were all buried within like not really buried, like hidden or maybe, maybe sort of buried within like 25 yards of each other or something. I'm, I'm really abbreviating this story. Uh, and so the idea was, Hey, there's a serial killer that has been, um, killing young ladies, young women and putting their bodies in this field, dumping their bodies in this field. And the thing is, is that this was like 25 acres of kind of abandoned forest area that was owned by, old, uh, oil companies like oil pumps and oil, um, uh, you know, uh, derricks and things like that, but that there's nobody around it. So it's a really isolated out there kind of area. Now there's, uh, there's also a film called the Texas killing fields, uh, which is a, uh, like a docudrama based on the story. But if you read the Wikipedia article and I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it what it sounded like to me, and I don't want to, to poo-poo the whole Texas killing field thing, but what it sounds like, a lot of it sounds like to me, is like the Bermuda Triangle. I remember reading a book that said, you know, this the ship disappeared in the 1600s, and then another ship disappeared in almost exactly the same area, which now that I think about it, how did they know that, uh, in the 1800s? And so there's got to be something with this area. But I mean, I think if you have a shipping lane where ships go, I mean, ships sink. It, it just happens, you know. And so if you say two things sink 200 years apart, it's not, you know, maybe it's not a, a, a mystery. <laughs> maybe it's an accident, you know. And so when you look at all these murders and unsolved murders, and there are a lot of unsolved murders and abductions in that area. Like, I will 100% agree with that. But... Um, like one of them that's listed on the Wikipedia page says there was a girl who lived in Denton. Okay. Well, Denton is like three hours North of this. <laughs> like that's pretty far, you know, and Houston, uh, if you look, you know, in, in the United States, uh, Houston is like, I believe they're still in the top 10 of the most dangerous cities. Like, like there's a, uh, high crime areas of Houston. So for a bunch of people, to get killed. I mean, if you're spreading the area out that far, like I go, eh, I don't, I don't know. It's, it doesn't, uh, I don't think all these things are related. Now there are definitely, 
uh, a few cases that were, late, were related. When you find three bodies in a very short period of time that are all in the same place, and, and I believe they said like the bodies were posed in similar manner or, or something like that. Uh, yeah, those are probably related, you know. But, uh, I mean, the point of a serial killer, I'm not a serial killer. Let me set that uh, as a disclaimer. But the last thing I want to do is kill someone. I mean, you could put full stop there. But if I were to murder someone and then need to hide their body, I'm not going to take it where people where police have found other bodies because I think, hey, maybe they know that's a place where people put bodies. So, uh, you know, they, they have op operating theories where they say, well, maybe multiple serial killers were using this. I don't know. I don't, I don't buy that, you know, and I don't buy, uh, there's a lot of girls that have got abducted in that area. But then when you go back and they go, well, this girl was, uh, um, you know, she was at a truck stop 30 miles away and she got into a, a, a truck. It was never seen again. I mean, that's terrible. It's definitely a crime. It's definitely an abduction. She's probably dead, but do I think it's the same guy that 20 years earlier, you know, left some bodies in a field. I don't think, I don't think those are necessarily related. So anyway, uh, there are four, uh, women who were discovered around the same time that they do think were all related, that were probably all killed by the same person. And you can watch, go to, um, uh, Netflix and watch the Texas killing fields. You can watch the whole story, but they have made a memorial. And so my, on the way down there, my wife said, Hey, do you want to go to the Texas killing fields? Now I, had not watched it yet, so I didn't know what this was, but I pulled up uh, a podcast, and we listened to a podcast about it on the way down there, and so we went, and this, uh, there, it's like a Carter Road, I think, and, and there's an area, but the, the thing that's kind of creepy is, uh, with phones and technology, the webpage that I found said, hey, click here, this is where they found a body, and I'm like, oh, man, that's creepy, you know, I, I don't know about that. And we went there and then it, it was like the GPS, you know, I'm like, well, that'll get us to, to where we're going. And when we got there, we were on a road running behind a housing development. It was, you know, and so it's weird to think like, well, they just, I mean, I know when someone gets killed, you can't just keep that, that area sacred forever. But it was weird that we were on a, a cul-de-sac sitting on top of the GPS marker, you know, and then it said one of the bodies was found you know, a hundred yards to the east and a hundred yards to the east of us is a new housing development. So someone's house is on top of that one. Um, but around the corner, uh, and, and this is kind of the end of the story, there is a church and behind the church is uh, memorials for those four girls that were found in the eighties. And so we did go over there and it was very, um, serene, you know, like it was very quiet. Cause you're in the woods. Like you, you park at this church and then you walk, you know, another hundred yards. Uh, and, and it's like a cemetery, you know, I mean, there's like little benches to sit on and stuff and people leave things and it, it's a memorial, you know, there's four different ones. Um, but, it, but that part of it was really sad because, um, uh, you know, as a fan of true crime, we hear these true crimes and you go, oh, that's a terrible story. And this is that, you know, but when you watch the documentary and you see it's the, the families that are still in anguish, they're trying to solve these murders and that they lost, you know, uh, some of the, the girls were 12 and 13 years old and stuff. It's really, really terrible story. And so to go there, it just made it very real. Uh, and so it was kind of a heavy moment. You know, so that was uh, that. And then uh, two hours later, we were on a cruise ship getting drunk. So 
<laughs> Let's tra- How's that for a transition? But we did go to the Texas Killing Fields. Again, you can watch those documentaries or look that up. Uh, it's a strange, strange little part of Texas, and it is less than a mile off the interstate. It's not as, uh, uh, you know, it's weird to think that you could be driving down the interstate and never know about it less than a mile away. Bad news. Don't want to get lost over there in the Texas killing field. So, um, since the last episode where I talked about cruises, we have gone on a few more cruises and all of our cruises have been my wife, myself, and our two kids. Well, my two kids have moved out and they were not able to go and actually weren't invited to go. So it was me and my wife. This was our first time to go on a cruise without our kids. And if you come to my streams and you know Steel Rat, a.k.a. my buddy Jeff, who I always introduce as my buddy Jeff, uh, Jeff and his wife Heather met us and went on the cruise with us. So this is the first time we did like a couple's type cruise, like where we went on a cruise with friends. We went on one a long time ago where my mom and and uh, uh, her husband went with us, but it was that was kind of a different situation, you know. Uh, but this was uh, like a couple's cruise. We went on a thing, and uh, it, it was a lot, a lot of fun. Now, this was a five-day cruise heading down to Mexico, or I should say west to Mexico, leaving from Galveston. Uh, Monday was our boarding day, and we cruised. Tuesday is what you call a sea day. We were at sea all day on Tuesday. Wednesday, we went to Cozumel. Thursday, we went to the Yucatan. And then Friday was another sea day, all day on the sea. And Saturday, we arrived back in Galveston. Um, We once again paid. I don't don't know specifically how this works because my wife does the paying. Um, But along with our suite that we bought, she paid for the early. uh, Maybe it's with the suite. It comes this perk of being able to, uh, be a VIP quote unquote VIP, uh, when it comes to embarking and disembarking, I think even if you're not, uh, in a suite, I think you could pay for that. I would never do a cruise and not do that. Um, uh, the way it works is, uh, when you are, well, I can tell you how, how it works when you're, when you're boarding the ship, is there are lines, it's just like, imagine a TSA line, except for there are 4,000 people getting on the plane. And that's what it is. It's 4,000 people getting on this cruise ship, right? And they're all going through the TSA. They're all going through metal detectors. They're all going through, you know, show us your ticket, show us your thing, show us your passport. They're all doing that, right? And then if you purchased a suite, or like I said, I assume you can upgrade uh, and just buy this separately, uh, there's a separate line. And it is just, you walk as fast as you can and it funnels out to the end of the line. So you are bypassing hundreds and hundreds of people. I mean, it is hours of your life of shuffling through a line with your suitcases. (laughs) Um, Now, uh, the other thing you can do is you can either check your luggage or you can carry your luggage on, right? Um, uh, Well, that's, that's not true. You, you, you check your suitcase right when you get on and they will deliver it to your room and you won't have access to it for uh, several hours. 
But what we've learned is all the stuff that you really want, you take it a backpack and you put it on your backpack. So, you know, you take your phone charger, you take your, your battery, uh, you know, your USB uh, external charger thing. You take, if you want to swim, don't forget that the cruise ship has multiple hot tubs, swimming pools, uh, all these different things. And guess what? 99% of the people that get on the cruise ship are going to go, oh, my swimming suit is in my suitcase that I'm not getting for three hours. But if you bring yours uh, and a spare t-shirt or a towel or whatever on your backpack, you can go swim. Now, let me tell you what happens the next day when you go swim. There's 400,000 people in the pool, which is amazing because the cruise ship only holds 4,000. But, um, I mean, they are packed with kids and adults and everything. But if you want the pool to yourself, that's the way to do it. You take that stuff on it and you just carry on the stuff um, that you want the, uh, disembark thing. And I'll talk about that, uh, at the end of the ship, but it works, uh, s- the same way you get off the cruise ship hours before everybody else, especially if you can carry your own luggage. So, uh, Susan and I, Susan, um, we had a, uh, an infant infestation of bed bugs, that we nipped in the, uh, nipped in the, I just tried to confuse bed and bug, uh, and bud. We, we nipped it in the bud. Uh, we found them on a couch. We immediately threw the couch out and we threw out a bunch of other stuff. Uh, we don't want to deal with that, but my wife believes she brought them back from New York city. Uh, and, uh, she also threw away her suitcase. So we bought two new suitcases. They are pretty big Samsonite, like, like travel hard shell suitcases, and everything we could possibly want, we each put in our suitcases. So, um, you it just having one thing that you can wheel around is so nice. It's so nice. And again, we'll talk about disembarking uh, at the end of this. Now, uh, when you get on the ship, the very first thing you got to do is do your muster station. Now, this has changed many, many times, uh, and it's changed since both of my previous podcast, when I went to the very first one, and let me backtrack. The muster station is, um, basically the escape pods. It's the rescue boats. There are enough boats all around. Uh, this is not the Titanic where, um, the women and children go first and men go down with the ship. They got enough boats for everybody. They got lifeboats for everybody. Uh, but you got to know where to go because not everybody could go to one lifeboat, right? <laughs> they only hold so many people. So you are assigned an area and that's where you go, but you got to know where that area is. It's, it's important. It's important information. If you're going to go on a cruise, because, um, hopefully nothing ever happens just like on a plane, hopefully nothing ever happens. But if it does, you better know where the exit row is. Right? So, um, uh, when you in the first cruise we ever went to, maybe the second cruise, the, the muster station was uh, in your room. You have a life jacket, and so they made an announcement, and you had to get your life jacket out of your room, and then you had to go to the giant. Uh, I'm going to call it the amphitheater. I mean, it's the giant theater that holds everybody on the ship. And everybody went there. There's thousands of people. You're crammed into these tiny seats. And then they made us watch. I mean, they talked and they explained what to happen in a, in a, in a emergency and where you're supposed to go based on your card, all these things. And then you had to put on your life jacket in a crowded 
thing. I mean, it's like a movie theater with the world's smallest seats. And now you're trying to put it on a life jacket with strangers on either side. It was terrible, terrible, terrible. It was hot and sweaty and a pain in the butt. I'd rather drown. <laughs> I didn't do that. Um, but over the years, they have made many, many improvements. And so on the last cruise, not this one, but on the one before this, uh, they told us on our card, your muster station, they were like, go here. And it was like, you know, deck four in the middle and you go deck four in the middle. And then there's a number and they go, you're in the right area. And there's, you know, a hundred of us. And we go, yep. And then they scan your card. So they got a scanner because everybody, it's mandatory for you to do this. If you, you think, oh, I'm going to uh, hide in my room and not go. They won't, the ship doesn't leave. And we had that happen this time where everything was ready to go. And they're like, we need so-and-so and so-and-so to do the muster thing right now. Cause we're, we can't leave. It's, it's mandatory. And, and it should be, you should know how in case of an emergency to get off a cruise ship. Um, so on the last one, what happened is we went to the area and there was a guy with a barcode scanner. And while one person was explaining what you're supposed to do, the other guy was scanning everybody's cards. It took five minutes. You didn't have to put on a life jacket. You didn't have to do any of that crap. You just stood there and listened to their speech. And then they sent you on the way. It was great. This time when we went, there was a long line to get to the muster thing. And basically you had to go... And by the way, that is M-U-S-T-E-R. It sounds so much like mustard, like you put on a sandwich, but it is a muster station. And so there was a long line. And when we walked up, a guy scanned our cards and said, okay, be sure to go through the thing and get the deal. And he walked off and we go, see ya. <laughs> and then we left. So uh, we did not, We all they did was scan our cards this time. I don't think that's probably how you're supposed to do it. Uh, but I mean, the key is again, uh, it is important. Know where you're supposed to go in case of an emergency. And then if there's an emergency, go to that place. Don't freak out. Don't do anything else. Go where you're supposed to go. Hopefully it never happens. Um, but if it does, you know, you got to know how to do it. So we knew where we were supposed to go. Um, our muster station check-in took about five seconds. It was great. And then we were uh, off to the bar. Now, um, let me talk about these, um, patches, the motion sickness patches. I went on my first cruise, the very, very, very first cruise. I, uh, was throwing up overboard the entire time. It was terrible, terrible, terrible. Fortunately for me, it was a very short cruise. It was to the Bahamas, which is a four hour trip from Florida, which meant four hours of being seasick. Uh, someone told me, hey, you should try these medicine patches. You put it behind your ear. It's round. It's about the size of a nickel. Uh, you stick it behind your ear, and it's good for 24 hours. Um, there is a new updated version. And by the way, I've used those for every cruise, and they're wonderful. They work great. It stops the motion sickness for me. Um, when I put it on, there is a massive release of the medicine. And my wife says it makes me really grumpy for 10 minutes. And then I fall asleep for about half an hour. And then when I wake up, it's all good and I'm good for the rest of the trip. So now we plan around that when, when I don't put the, the patch on until we can get to our room. When, it, when you get on the cruise ship, you can't access your room for about three hours, uh, sometimes less, but about that. And so, um, there, I, when we, when we first did it, the minute I stepped on the ship, I put um, the patch on and then I was a jerk to everybody for half an hour. And then I wanted to take a nap. Uh, so we don't do that anymore. So now what we do 
is um, wait till we could get to the room. And when we get in the room and then my wife says, yeah, I'm going to go get a drink, have a nice nap. And then I put the medicine on and then I lay in bed and I curse everybody while I'm in the bed uh, for about 10, 15 minutes. And then I take a nap. When I get up, I'm fine. So um, anyway, we found a new brand and the brand's not really important. Uh, we get them through the doctor, but I'm telling you one time I got it off of Amazon and it was the exact same and it was, uh, it's cheap. They're super cheap. Um, but the one that my wife got from the doctor this time uh, w was good for three days. So, um, I put it on the first day of the cruise and then, you know, Wednesday or Thursday, uh, actually it was starting to peel off after spending all day, uh, Wednesday in the ocean. So, uh, I just took it off and we put on another one and, and I don't have that reaction for the second time. I guess the medicine's already in you. So it just kind of, uh, you know, keeps you level or whatever. But, um, yeah, they were, they were good for three days. And, and of course the smallest one that they give you is uh, 10, uh, of the patches. And I only use two and they expire after a couple of years. So, you know, you just throw them away, but what, but I mean, I think they cost me $10 or maybe $20, but if they were a hundred dollars, I would pay it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I gotta have it or, or I can't go on cruises. So, uh, that worked out. Well, the funny thing about those that I wanted to mention though, is that, um, people, see those patches and then they, they ask you if they work and I tell them that they do. And then they go on and they all insist on telling me alternative things that I could also do. One guy said, you know, they got those magnet bracelet things. And I go, Oh yeah. And then I'm thinking, but I got a patch and the patch works fine. You know? Uh, and one person said, um, Let's see, there was that, there was, uh, I, I don't know, there was two or three different things uh, that people mentioned as alternatives, and I was like, huh, yeah? But the thing is, if I get on that cruise ship, and what I if I brought something else and it doesn't work, I'm screwed. I'm going to have a terrible time. You know, I told my wife, I go, it's kind of like birth control, like, uh, like there, there's stuff that's proven to work, so let's not experiment. Let's not try other random things. Let's go with the one that, that we know works, you know? So that was kind of my, uh, that was kind of my thoughts on the matter. So people, uh, love to talk about other ways to do something that you're doing. And then I just nod and I go, well, oh, that's interesting. But, uh, every cruise I go on for the rest of my life, I will have those behind the ear patches. Uh, it's just such a, a, a no brainer for me. Uh, you, you put it on there, you forget about it. And now the ones they last three days. It's crazy. Works great. Um, I'm going to talk about the internet access. You know, I listened to the first cruise episode I did, and I talked about how they were charging like 70 cents a minute for internet access. Of course, they don't do anything like that anymore. Now what they do is there are three tiers of internet. And I want to say, I'm just rounding here, but let's say it is uh, $10, 15 and 20 something like that, right? And they are advertised, uh, the $10 one, it says, well, you should probably be able to check your email and send texts. Uh, for the $15 one, it goes, this is good enough for most people that need social media and stuff like that. You should be able to post on Instagram and Facebook or whatever. And then the $20, they call it like the high-end VIP, and they go, this is for people that need to use Zoom uh, or, you know, uh, FaceTime, like video streaming video. You could watch movies on Netflix and stuff like that. That's $20 a day. Now, uh, the, you're not going to get, you're not going to get cell phone service on the cruise ship, 
you might get it in Mexico. And if you're, um, you got to check to see if your phone plan has international roaming because uh, that is expensive. So if you have your phone turned on, you don't, you don't want that. Uh, so what you do when you get on the cruise ship, you put your phone in airplane mode and then you connect to the ship's Wi-Fi. Uh, if you have this, um, uh, $20 a day package, right? Um, and then it says, Hey, do you want to send messages to people? Like I could send, uh, you know, we said when you check in, it goes, I'm, we're a party of four. It's me and Susan in one room, Jeff and Heather in another room. So you can send messages back and forth through the app. So when you try to send a message, it goes, sorry, that's another $5 a day. Okay. That's annoying. That's just, that's just, um, gouging people for no reason. Cause you know that, I mean, if you're paying for the internet, I'm paying $20 a day, uh, for, you know, this high end quality internet. Let me text somebody, you know? So, uh, on top of that, on top of everything, the internet was so unbelievably terrible and bad that it was mostly unusable. Um, I, uh, this is like something I did. Like I wanted to post a picture, um, on, on Facebook from the cruise. So you connect to the ship's Wi-Fi, and it goes, sorry, can't connect. And then you try to connect. It goes, nope, try later. And then you do that 10 times and then eventually it connects. Okay. And then you go to Facebook and you pull down, you refresh Facebook and, uh, you start scrolling through it after about three or four people, uh, all the pictures where there should be pictures just turn into gray boxes. And if you click on anything, it just doesn't work. It just spins and then it times out. And then if you go back and look at your Wi-Fi, you're not connected. You got disconnected. Then you got to do that all over again. That was constantly like I couldn't stay connected for more than like a minute or two. And it's not just, uh, I mean, this is in my room. This was on my balcony. This was in the middle of the ship. This was in the restaurant. Anyway, it didn't matter where I was. The internet was just terrible. Um, you know, this, this talk about being able to zoom and doing all that. No way. Um, you know, I, I thought I took a laptop on, on a cruise a while back and I was able to do, uh, like remote desktop and it was definitely like a relay or a delayed response, but I, there's no way I could do any of that. I, I mean, stream and video, forget about it. I, I tried to text about a 10 second video to friends of mine and it never went through It never the whole, the five days it did not go through. So in fact, um, my wife is actually complaining to uh, Carnival, and we're trying to get a refund for the internet because it was so bad. And what was really frustrating was in all the restaurants, the menus have been replaced with QR codes. So you're supposed to connect to their Wi-Fi and then scan the QR code to see the menu. But if you can't get on the Wi-Fi, you can't scan the menu. So instead of, you know, you go to a, a dinner and it's uh, you and your friends, and everybody's wanting to have a good time, but instead we've all got our phones out and we're all trying to connect to the internet over and over so that we can get to the menu. It's very frustrating. And, um, um, I mean, I don't know what the alternative is and, uh, my thoughts have changed on, you know, there's a couple things that I said, like on the first cruise podcast, I was like, why do you need internet access? Well, now we live on the internet, you know, I mean, before it was like, well, if you're on the internet, it's just because you're playing on something and you should be enjoying your time on a cruise. I mean, maybe that's true, but now like you have to, a lot of people have to remain connected, 
uh, you know, to their jobs, if they have kids at home, if they have, um, you know, need to be able to check email, stuff like that. And it just really, really didn't work. So I was not impressed at all with the internet service. And um, hopefully that's something, maybe it was just something on our ship that time, but man, it was uh, really not good. Um, you know, the other thing is on the app, that's how you find out what's going to happen each day. Like when the events are, they used to get the little printed pieces of paper slid into your door, but they don't do that anymore. It's all electronic now. It's all in this app. So if you can't get on the app, you can't even figure out what's going on, where to go, where, where events are and stuff. So again, um, yeah, not, not impressed with, uh, the internet service on the old Carnival cruise. Um, now, something that we did different that we've never done before is we purchased the drink package. Now, again, on the old, the first uh, cruise episode that I did, I said, what a waste. Who wants to just spend their whole cruise drunk? Well, guess what? I do. <laughs> Maybe I didn't then, but now I don't have no kids. <laughs> so I want to drink it up. Now, that's not entirely true. Um, but here's the thing. The drink package is $50 a day. We're going we're gonna to play with that number a little bit, right? Right off the bat, let me tell you that um, you're constantly being offered drinks. No matter where you are, if you go to a show, a guy's walking around offering you drinks. If you're in the, the buffet, a guy walks around offering you drinks. Uh, in the, the restaurant, when you order drinks, a guy walks around with different drinks, and those aren't included in the drink package. So there's just a... Um, there's always drinks. And so eventually you're like, yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a Jackery. I'll have whatever this, uh, they've got like a, a rum based punch. That's the, like the cruise, uh, like the honorary drink of the cruise or whatever. Okay. All those drinks at a minimum are $15. So if you're going to have three drinks a day, uh, then the drink package pays for itself. But on top of that, the drink package also covers, um, soda. It also covers any coffee other than black coffee. So if you want like a latte, you want a mocha cappuccino, um, you want an iced coffee, any of that, those cost money on the cruise ship. So you could get all of those with your drink package as well. So I'm going to tell you on the first day, um, we checked or we, we boarded, the ship, right? And then, as I said, you can't go to your room. You got to find some place to go. Well, when we walked in, Jeff and Heather already had a spot at the bar and they had a seat safe. So we sat down at the bar and we drank three drinks before we could get to our room. So that paid for the drink package for the whole day. Uh, so we definitely got our money's worth out of the drink package. Now, you got to say to yourself, like, there are many, many different things to do on a cruise ship and many ways to entertain yourself. Um, you know, some people want to sit out on the deck all day in those lounge chairs and get sun and enjoy the ride up on the, the ninth deck or on Lido or on 11th or 12th deck or whatever. And that's great. You know, some people go hang out in the spa and I'll talk about the spa here in a minute. That's great. Some people sit in their room, they go to the library and they read or they go play bingo, whatever you want to do. There's lots of different ways to do it. I found most of them were more entertaining the drunker I was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were not like belligerent, uh, fall down kind of drunk. And, um, and, and yeah, that, that doesn't sound like a good time to me. Um, but you know, when you would go 
uh, we didn't play bingo. We didn't do a lot of the stuff that we've we've done in the past because we've done it. Like I don't I don't need to go play bingo, you know. Um, but we're sitting out on the deck, and a guy comes by and he's like, "Hey, do you want the rum punches or whatever?" Well, it's not fifteen dollars now; it's free because we bought this thing. So we go, "Yeah, by the way, here's our drink package." Uh, and they scan your card and they bring in the drink. Now we did learn; uh, they told us that there's a limit of fifteen drinks uh, per person per day. Uh, I don't think we were ever in danger of hitting that number. I think we, we were okay. Um, the, uh, but we did learn that not, uh, if you do get the drink package, every adult as in your party has to also get it. So you can't, if your husband and wife, you can't get it and not your wife because they're not dumb and they know you're going to be sneaking Cokes and giving it to your spouse. So if you get the drink package, they have to get it. So you can do the math real quick. $50 a day turns into a hundred dollars a day turns into five days on a cruise ship. We paid $500 for the drink package. You know, this is our big vacation for the year. Uh, and so again, it, it it's, um, you know, an example that I often go back to is when I bought my Dodge neon, I bought my Dodge neon and the model I was looking at had manual windows and manual locks. And they said, you know, we have this other car over here. It's like $900 more, but it has automatic windows and automatic locks. Maybe it's $1,000. And I was like, I don't have, I don't, you know, $1,000. And I was thinking of it in that term. Like, I don't want to spend $1,000. Um, but I had that car for five years. You know, I paid it off in like three years or four years or whatever. And so if you divide $1,000 by, you know, however many years, that, I mean, by five years, that's $200 a year. And you start dividing it out by months or by, by payments and stuff. It just wasn't that much. And the trade-off was every time I pulled up, I had to reach over and manually unlock the other door, the passenger door, or try to roll down the window, the other window while I was driving. It was a pain in the butt the whole time, you know? So, uh, sometimes if you average those things out, the prices seem a little bit different, but again, at the end of the day, it depends on, you may be a person who says, I don't care about coffee. I don't care about drinks. I could go for a week without a, a diet Dr. Pepper. I don't care. Um, I don't care about the alcohol stuff. Then 100% do not get the drink package. But um, but we got our money's worth out of it. We enjoyed it this time. I don't know that we would use it um, every time, but uh, but definitely you know, th this trip, it was, uh, especially going for a couple's thing where you're going to be hanging out. And then, like I said, you're at the casino, you go to the casino and you're there for an hour or two. Uh, and then you're like, man, you know, a guy comes around every five minutes. You want a drink? You want a drink? Well, if you're buying a drink, now you got a $15 drink versus if you have that drink package, eh, you have a drink or two at the casino and you have a good time with your friends. So, um, all right. So let me transition to this other thing I wanted to talk about, um, and that is that the the pricing model of cruise ships has has changed, of cruising has changed, and I think it changed uh, during the cruise comeback post-COVID. So I think pre-COVID, cruising was pretty expensive, and I think it's still relatively expensive, but it's much, much cheaper than it used to be. And I was talking a little bit about this on today's episode of Rando Rob. They've changed the billing model. It used to be, let's say you're going to pay, you know, however many, I'm just making up a thing. Let's say you used to pay, um, you know, 
$5,000 for a cruise. Well, now it's half that price, but then along the way, they're going to nickel and dime you. And, and I just arbitrarily made up that number. I don't know the real number, but uh, now what they're going to do is bill you a little bit along the way. You're going to pay a little bit extra. So um, they, they're going to push buying drinks. They're going to push the drink things. They're going to push um, $5 to text people. They're going to push all these little things. So it's a it's a, a way to get people back on cruises because it seems like it's so much cheaper. And then they're going to um, try to get their money back out of you. Uh, the example I used on Rando Rob today was it's kind of like what they did with video games where it used to be $50 or $60 for a video game. Now you can get a video game for a couple of bucks and then start buying downloadable content, buying additional characters, buying levels and all that stuff. So they do eventually get their money back. It's just a different pricing scheme. Um, and what I was trying to say on Rando Rob this morning, I couldn't really find an eloquent way uh, a non-offensive way to say it is that the lower prices attract um, lower class people. So it's not, I mean, I don't think that it's um, necessarily people with lower income per se. I think it's people that are looking for a good deal. And um, not that not that getting a good deal is is bad, but what happens is, is that now because they've made the prices so cheap, uh, that you get these people that get on there and then they just want to like get everything for free. Uh, they want to, you know, get the best service for free. Um, and, and I'll tell you, I'll give you an example and I'm going to talk about food here. Uh, I mean, I could, I could go ahead I could transition right now, uh, and talk about, there were a few restaurants that actually cost money on the cruise ship. Now there, there's no shortage of free food. And I'll talk, like I said, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, but there are a few places where you could go where you can actually pay. And one of them was this uh, place, and I think it's called um, Bang Bang Sushi. I'm not sure, but I know that one of the things they serve, they serve a sushi roll that's called a Bang Bang Sushi Roll. Um, and so we decided, uh, I, I did this uh, on a previous cruise with my daughter. We had a great time, and the sushi was wonderful and really inexpensive. And so I wanted to do it again. And we went, my wife and I went to Bang Bang Sushi. I'm just going to call it that. And um, I got a sushi roll that had eight oversized sushi roll. I mean, like a sushi roll, but eight oversized pieces of sushi. And this was one that had um, like crab meat, lobster, whatever, you know, or no, crab meat, shrimp, and some other things like that. Uh, and this roll was $4. Like it, it would have been a whole meal by itself. Now I had never tried one of these, um, uh, poke bowls and I was wanting to try one. So I ended up ordering one of those. I got a bowl with more salmon than I could eat in it. Plus all these other stuff in that. And I think that was $8. Um, and, and my wife and I both kind of picked at that, but honestly the sushi roll by itself would have been a meal. It was large. It was a large sushi roll and it was $4. And as we were sitting there, we heard people walking by the buffet and I heard this couple and this lady was like, oh, I want to try that. And the guy said, oh, it goes not free. It costs money. And she goes, oh, why would you pay for money here? All this free food, you know, and they were just going on and on. Um, that was at a time where thousands of people were headed to the buffet. Like when you go to the buffet, the buffet is like the lowest common denominator. The buffet is like. 
um, you know, grazing grounds for cattle. <laughs> I don't mean to compare the people, uh, you know, not physically to cattle, but the, the concept, you know, is just get everybody in here and get, you know, bland food, get whatever that'll feed people and get them out of here, you know? Um, and, and the, the, the sushi restaurant is a separate area that's quarantined off. It looks like a sushi restaurant and you can sit there. Other people can't come in there. So you can sit there. Uh, and there was one other couple in there. We were the only people and with one other couple and you could have a private area and it's quiet and uh, for $4, you know? And so that's the mentality uh, that I saw was people would, you know, they wouldn't pay a dollar for something. They wouldn't pay $4 for sushi, which was one of the better meals that we had on the ship. They don't want to pay the $4 because they, they got a good deal. They got on cheap on the cruise and they're just going to do the free stuff. So, um, it's like the, the same type of people that do that are the people that are, you know, saving tables or saving the seats or, you know, just, just trying to get free stuff and just try to, to game the system. It's just that kind of attitude, you know? Um, so what we found is there's some places on the ship that if you pay a little bit of money, you could go there and, uh, it's not just an enjoyable experience, but it's also kind of, a um, refuge from, uh, the crowds, you know, and one was the spa. Now my wife bought a spa package for both of us so that we could both go to this private spa anytime we wanted throughout the whole cruise. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I went one day. It, this was not for me, but it was for my wife. She enjoyed it very much. She went all five days. Uh, there was a, a something, something healing pool. I don't know what it was. It was like a jacuzzi, except for the jacuzzi was you know, eight foot wide and 16 foot long. I mean, it was this giant thing. Uh, and, and like one time there was like eight people in there and it was not, not crowded. I mean, we weren't anywhere near the other six people. Um, and then there were these like heated chairs. I think there's a fancy name for them. They were like made out of ceramic tiles and they were super hot and you sat on them. And uh, my wife was like, I could sit here all day. And I was so bored in two minutes. I was like, I'm bored. <laughs> like that's not my style. My style is not to sit somewhere for an hour. Um, my style is to experience it for five minutes and then move on to something else. So, uh, but the thing is it, it costs money. You had to pay money for spa access. And uh, I mean, they had other stuff in there. They had the, um, sauna room. They had three different saunas that were like different temperatures, you know, based on what you wanted. They had showers. They had all these different things. Um, and, um, uh, you know, but the thing is that if it cost $20 or something, people wouldn't do it. So when you went there, we were the only people there. It was just a way to get away from everyone. I also want to mention that we went the last night of our cruise ship. We went to this steakhouse. Now, the steakhouse is not cheap. I think it was called like fire something five, five, five or something. Um, and the gist of it is, is that, uh, when you go to the main dining room, all the meals are structured the same way you pick, they, they offer you. Uh, a limited amount of appetizers, like five or six appetizers. And then they have main courses and then they have desserts. Uh, and, and you just go down the list. You're like, pick one appetizer, pick a dinner, pick a dessert, pick a winner, <laughs> pick a drink. Okay. And, um, 
this was the exact same thing, except for it was like $50. And normally, like this is not something I would probably normally do, but we were there with friends and we wanted a really nice dinner to remember uh, for the last day. Uh, so it was 50 bucks, which is expensive, right? Um, on top of everything else that we were spending. Uh, I will tell you, I'm trying to remember what my appetizer was. I can't remember. Uh, at one one of the appetizers I had, I, well, I don't think it was at that one, but I had calamari somewhere. My dinner at this thing was a giant lobster tail and a filet mignon. And then um, <clears throat> the uh, dessert was uh, like a chocolate mousse ball. It was like chocolate cake that they came and it had mousse in the middle and they poured chocolate over the fudge over the top of it. And it was a crazy, it was everything, like every bite of that meal was the best bite I'd had. <laughs> it was so good. And the steakhouse was just, I mean, it was about half full, you know, but um, it wasn't full of drunk teenagers. You know what I mean? It wasn't um, uh, full of uh, people being rowdy and the people that are that are just, you know, being annoying. It was like people that are like, hey, I want I want to relax. I want a good time. Um, and uh, it was worth it. It was totally worth it. Now, again, I, would I do it for every every meal? No. But, uh, you know, for that final meal of uh, of the cruise, and again, doing it with friends and stuff like that, it was 100% worth it. We we had a really, really good meal. Um, real quick, I'll talk about the other food on the cruise. I think they upped uh, some of the, the food experiences. Even from our last cruise, there were two Guy Fieri uh, locations. He had a barbecue place, and then he had a burger place. There was a place near the rear of the ship called the Pizza Pirate that always had fresh pizza. Uh, there were dessert bars. Um, again, there was the, the the couple of ones that you could pay for, the steakhouse um, and the sushi place. Um, now I will tell you one difference, and this is one of those things where they are nickel and diming people, is you could still, uh, on previous cruises, you could get room uh, food delivered to your room. So at midnight... You can pick up a phone and say, I want a cheeseburger and a slice of pizza, and they would bring it to your room. Uh, now you can do that, and it's still included, but uh, room delivery is $5. So if you have room service bring something to your room, it's 5 bucks, just uh, a flat fee. So not the end of the world, but just a, a tiny little way that they are getting a little bit more money from you. Uh, now on uh, this cruise, once again, I did the behind the fun tour. This is my fourth time, uh, to do the behind the fun tour and behind the fun tour. I think it costs about $150. It is not cheap. And what it is, is an all access tour of the cruise ship. You get to meet the captain. You get to meet the um, chief uh, engineer officer. The, the guy. You go down to the engine room. You see all the computers and everything running the engines. You go into the kitchen. You go, um, you know, everywhere that that normal people, normal passengers don't get to go. You get to go. Um, they do the tour twice on every cruise. And it's each one is limited to 16 people. So when you get on and you can't pay for it in advance, but you get on the cruise ship, you have to like go to the front counter or customer service immediately and try to buy tickets. Now we bought, uh, 
Uh, I have done the tour with uh, Susan and I have done it. I've done it with my daughter and I've done it with my son. So this was, uh, I wanted to go on the tour with Jeff because I really uh, enjoy these types of tours. I love facts. I love, um, you know, seeing how stuff works. And I really wanted Jeff to see those same things. So we bought tickets to go on the cruise or on the uh, tour. Uh, The tour guide that we had, we couldn't decide if either he had volunteered to do this because so he could make some extra money and wasn't interested in it, or if he had been assigned this job and wasn't getting paid for it. But whatever the reason was, he was not interested really in giving the tour. He did okay, but he wasn't excited. He wasn't excited about Carnival as a company, and he wasn't excited about the tour, which is something that, I mean, in our group, there were, um, it wasn't quite full. I think our group had 12 people. So if you multiply 12 by $150, you know what I mean? Like this is a money-making deal for them. And so, uh, to make it something that's not great, that's a bad idea. You know, um, the cruise ships are an international operation, which means they have employees from many different countries doing things. Uh, it would be egotistical to say that the best person for any position is, uh, American. In fact, all the, uh, captains that I've ever met are all Italian. Um, they have thick Italian accents, which is fine. The, the chefs, uh, the, the tour started going right into the kitchen and the chef that we spoke with or that spoke to us talked for close to 15 minutes and none of us understood a word he said the entire time. His accent was so thick and it, and it's kind of a loud, noisy environment uh, anyway, but I just kept looking at Jeff and he kept looking at me. We couldn't understand this guy. Um, and, and that happened a couple of times along the way on the cruise. Uh, so that part of it is... Um, it's a little disappointing. Like it's just frustrating if you if you pay money to go to a cruise and you can't under or on a tour and you can't understand the people that you're meeting on the tour. So uh, didn't love that. Um, I will tell you that on a different ship during the tour we got to see uh, both the brig and the morgue. Um, in case you didn't know, cruise ships do have a morgue. Most of them can hold uh, a few bodies, two or three bodies, uh, until they get to a port. And um, on this tour, while we were walking down, he's, he uh, our guide said, here's the Morgan, here's the, the brig. And it was two locked metal doors. Uh, and then one had a sign on it that said brig, and one had a sign on it that said morgue. And I'm going to tell you this. It would not surprise me if those were just random doors and that those signs were on those doors. <laughs> uh, and then that's not what they were because they were, first of all, I don't know why the brig and the morgue would be next door to each other. Um, and, uh, I get it that it's not a, a touring thing, but when we went, when we saw morgue on another ship, uh, we got to actually go into the medical, uh, area, like the waiting room. And they spoke with us about like types of things they could handle. Well, we didn't see anything on this trip that was like that. We didn't speak to anybody medical related. Uh, we just walked by a door and they go, well, that's uh, the morgue. That's the brig. So I got, I've got this tiny feeling like we were bamboozled slightly, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe that, maybe that's really what they are. But, um, uh, 
Um, I mean, I, I was just not. Um, uh, and, and I'll tell you another thing is that previous ones, we got a piece of paper that had all the facts of the ship, like how much, uh, you know, uh, electricity it generates because it's all generators, uh, how much fresh water they can make and, and, uh, how much fuel it holds and, and, uh, miles per gallon and things like that. Uh, but we didn't get anything like that either. So it was kind of, um, uh, and I mentioned this on Randall Rob earlier, but at the end of it, it was like Willy Wonka where, the tour guide was like, okay, see you later. Like he just kind of split and we were like, is that it? That's the tour. The tour is over. Um, so yeah, I was not impressed with that tour. I have been impressed with it in the past. Maybe this was just a, a one-time bad occurrence with a, a tour guide that was having a bad day or something. But, uh, I felt bad because, um, there in many years ago, we used to have these, uh, Oklahoma video game expos. I say we, there was a, a guy, uh, who goes by Crossbow, who put these on in Tulsa. They were amazing uh, events. It was like a, a local retro gaming show. I looked forward to going to it every year. It was a lot of fun. Um, and one time, a lot, a bunch of my friends traveled from other states, from, from uh, Arkansas, Missouri, and they all came, and then we all broke for lunch, and um, they were like, what's a good place? And so I recommended a place and we all went to this place. And then it, it was like terrible. It was like the food was bad. The service was bad. And everybody was like, why would you recommend this place? Everybody was upset, you know? And I felt really bad about it. It's uh, I mean, obviously it's been 10 years and I still remember it, you know? So I, I felt bad that that had happened, you know? And it was because I had recommended it. So I felt the same way after the tour. I felt like, man, I recommended this tour because I thought we'd have such a good time. And then it wasn't a great tour, and Jeff spent money to go on the tour, you know, so, um, so I was a little bummed out about that. Um, let's get into the excursions. Now, um, I'm going to go through this quickly because this has been a long episode. Um, you could do one of two things with your excursions. You could pay, um, uh, carnival and you could go on one of their official ones, or you could go off the board. You could choose something on your own and go do that. And that's what we did this time. Uh, so on the Wednesday when we were in Cozumel, we went to a place called Mr. Sancho's. Uh, I've written about Mr. Sancho's and the other places on my blog. So if you want more details about it, then, um, check out robohara.com and it's in the, the past two or three posts. You'll see it right there on the front page. Uh, but Mr. Sancho's is an all day resort. Uh, you go there, uh, I think admission is $60 per person. That includes all the food you can eat. That's for all day. All the drinks you can drink for all day. You got a private um, table, which is probably 20 yards from the ocean. And then you get a, a, a reserve lounge chairs, which are literally on the ocean. I mean, it's on the beach. Uh, and so the four of us went there. We swam in the ocean. Uh, it was so clear. It was so beautiful. Uh, we took our own snorkels. We learned that in the past. Um, if you don't have a snorkel, you could rent them. Snorkel and fins are $20 an hour. Uh, so uh, we brought our own, which is no problem, and uh, used that out there. We chased fish out in the ocean. We had a great time. Uh, I immediately lost my sunglasses. And uh, the running joke, I just kept asking people if they'd seen my sunglasses in the ocean. They said, no, we'll keep an eye out for it, which is stupid. <laughs> You're not going to find my glasses. But um, I just kept asking people. So uh, that was fun. Um, and so I, I told this story on my stream last week. But if you, uh, I'm going to tell it again here. 
we had way too many drinks at Mr. Sancho's. And um, I watched the bartender. Uh, we, we moved from the ocean to they had a giant swimming pool with a swim-up bar, and it had tables and uh, little seats to sit on in the water. It was so cool. We were sitting in there, and uh, we would swim up to the bar, and we told the bartender, it was me and Jeff, and I told him that our names were Roberto and El Jefe, and uh, he was he would make drinks and then yell at us across the pool and be like, Roberto, and he would hold up drinks, you know, and so uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, we drank way too much. I mean, if, if um, fortunately, all we had to do was be able to stumble out to a taxi, and the taxi would take us back to the cruise ship. That was it. I did not have to drive the taxi. I did not have to drive the cruise ship, so, um, uh, so we were all good, um, but I watched him pour one of our margaritas and he literally took like an eight ounce glass and just poured like five or six shots, like six ounces of alcohol in it and then put a little dash for some flavor and then a little alcohol on top. I mean, these were the strongest drinks, um, that I've had in a long, long time. I, I told Jeff, I said, I haven't, uh, had drinks mixed this strong since you used to make them in high school. So we're having all these drinks. We're having a great time. Susan is off talking to some other people in the pool and I'm drinking a frozen daiquiri. This is probably my 12th drink of the day. And I took a big drink and there was a big chunk of ice that was not mixed up in the bottom. And it went into my mouth and went immediately into my windpipe. Uh, and I don't know that I have ever experienced this before, but I immediately realized I was choking and could not breathe. I could not get an ounce of air into my body. And the thing was, is that we had been being silly and drinking and stuff. So it was, you know, I was afraid in retrospect, like how do you get someone's attention? But, uh, I immediately began tapping on Jeff's arm and he looked at me and, uh, I was able to point to my throat and he could hear that I couldn't breathe. And he asked me if I was, was kidding. And I said, no. I shook my head. No, I couldn't talk. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do anything. And so he uh, started slapping me on the back and that did not help. I still couldn't breathe. And then I started to panic. I thought I'm, I'm, I might uh, choke to death here in Mexico. That'd be great. And then he immediately got behind me and started giving me the Heimlich and uh, the piece of ice eventually came out. And then uh, I didn't, I never, since I've never uh, almost choked to death, this is a new experience, but then I spent the next minute just gasping for air, uh, you know, and not being sure that I was breathing, but, but my mind, like tried to get my mind to calm down. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, a scary, scary incident, but, uh, then we just got more drinks and then it seemed less scary. <laughs> so note to self, be a little bit more careful after having a dozen drinks, uh, and don't let a piece of ice go down the old windpipe. Um, the, uh, the end of that day, we, we did get our taxi ride. We got back to the, the dock or the pier. We took a whole bunch of silly pictures. Jeff dropped his phone, but he put it back in his pocket. And then later that day we realized, or he realized that he did not have his phone. So, what we think happened was that he put it back in a pocket, but his swimming suit has really shallow, small pockets, and then it must have fallen out again uh, somewhere on the pier in Cozumel. So 
Uh, cruises are very expensive. They are more expensive when you add the cost of a brand new iPhone uh, to it. And so the uh, fortunate thing is that Jeff's iPhone was in airplane mode because that's what they tell you to do the whole time. So his phone was in airplane mode uh, and was locked with a secure, you know, six digit pin. So, um, but you might be saying to yourself, why don't you do uh, find my iPhone? Well, you can't do that when your phone's in airplane mode or remote wipe it or do any of those things or block it from the network. You can't do any of that because it's in airplane mode and it's not connecting to a network. So AT&T said they would block it if it uh, comes back to their network. They've blocked the MAC address basically of the phone or maybe the, um, uh, I'm going to call it the IMSA, that's not right, but the the SIM, you know, or the ESID. Um, they've blocked the number so it can't, it won't ever work on an AT&T network. But, um, you know, what we've learned since then is that usually what somebody will probably do is put a different SIM card in it and resell it somewhere in Mexico. So, um, expensive lesson and expensive accident, but, uh, sometimes accidents happen, especially after you've had, uh, 15 or 16 drinks at Mr. Sancho's highly recommended. Um, the, uh, next day we went over to the Yucatan and, uh, I will just blaze through this very quickly. Uh, my wife hired a private tour company. It's a company that she used the last time she was in the Yucatan. Uh, and she basically scheduled a tour that cost us a hundred dollars per person. So each, uh, and it was only the four of us, uh, Jeff and Heather and me and Susan. Uh, so $400, but a hundred dollars a person. The, uh, we had a private tour guide named Daniel Daniel picked us up and took us to, uh, through, uh, Merida, which is, I believe the capital of Yucatan. Uh, we saw a lot of, uh, cool stuff. We also saw a lot of poverty. Uh, we saw a lot of things that made me question what we were spending money on, on a cruise and in Mexico. Um, it really did made me do some soul searching and, uh, I, I'll probably write more about that. Um, because it was definitely some deep stuff, uh, that, uh, I was thinking, but, uh, we ended up going to, um, Usmal, which it's, that's spelled U X M A L. It is, uh, one of the best preserved Mayan uh, temples. There is a giant pyramid there. Uh, the, uh, the legend is that there was a magical dwarf who got in an argument with a king. The dwarf was born out of an egg hatched by a witch, and he got into a challenge of feats of strength with a king and built the pyramid overnight. But the other version of that story is that the pyramid was built over 400 years by Mayan slaves um, who never, I mean, a lot of them worked on it and uh, never got to see it to completion. But the ones who did, didn't get to go there because they were slaves and it was built uh, for royalty. Unlike... Egyptian uh, pyramids, Egyptian pyramids are built as uh, tombs, you know, for to bury people in. Um, the Mayans built them as gifts, uh, gifts to the gods is what they were. And so this was a gift uh, mostly to, I forget his name, but it was a rain god because they built this pyramid nowhere near water. And they had built these giant, I think they're cisterns. Uh, which were like rain collecting things, but they, they didn't have a natural water source. But uh, the pyramid and all the, the things around it were started in uh, construction began in 500 AD. Uh, I believe the pyramid was finished in 700 or 900 
AD. So, I mean, this is our guide said, I'm sure you have old things like this where you're from. And I said, the oldest thing in my city is the old Walmart, which was built in the seventies, which is not entirely true, but uh, yeah, we don't have pyramids from 19 or 900 AD Daniel. Um, but, <laughs> but um, there was one section uh, there was just all this ornate artwork and stuff. It was really, really cool. There were parts where you could see handprints from the people who had built the stones. Um, they had to make each stone individual. They took limestone and heated it up. And then once it was hot, they cut it with jade so that they would be uh, the shape and size of bricks. And they used that with bricks. But some of them left their handprints uh, on the bricks. It just, just uh, you know, seeing a handprint that's 1,500 years old is weird, you know. Um, and then there was an area where there was artwork, but it was all scrambled. And they said at some point they think they got attacked and they rebuilt this wall, but they didn't put everything back in the right order. So you could kind of see parts of ruins and stuff that don't, don't really make, not that they made sense to me anyway, but artwork that wasn't put together properly because they said that it had been knocked down, uh, and then reassembled. Um, they said that construction, and it appears the occupancy of the this particular Mayan area, stopped in 1200 AD, and they don't really know why. Uh, it could have been because of uh, uh, the water issues. It could have been from other things. But uh, they were like the thriving part of the civilization for you know a few hundred years, and then and then for some reason, they, it was abandoned. So um, I uh, uh, definitely. I'm definitely right now, I've been looking at some books on Mayan history and Mayan culture. I'm really uh, inspired by this trip and, and wanting to learn more about uh, the history and the civilization. So that that is definitely one good part about the cruise. It's not just all about, um, you know, free daiquiris and, and almost choking at Mr. Sancho's, but, um, you know. Uh, wanting to know a little bit more about the world around you and, and not just learning it there, but being inspired um, when you when you uh, leave that area. Uh, the other thing we did on our private tour was we went to a cenote. Cenote is Spanish for sinkhole. Uh, they believe that the asteroid that hit the Earth and killed the dinosaurs hit the Yucatan Peninsula. That's where they think it actually hit. Um, and when it hit... It knocked down an entire layer of bedrock and limestone that created um, this gap in the earth, which filled up with fresh water. So there are thousands of miles of freshwater rivers underneath the ground in the Yucatan. And these sinkholes open up, and there are hundreds and hundreds of cenotes. Um, but it's literally the one that we visited was on private property. Uh, it is a uh, eight-foot hole, like eight foot diameter hole. Uh, and then inside they've built a series of steps that you could go down in, which we went down in. It's exactly 30 steps. And once you're down in there, you are in a cave that looks like it could be from prehistoric times. Uh, and the cave is filled with water that was on average five foot deep, I would say. And I mean, less on the sides, but in the middle, uh, actually, there was parts in the middle that would be six or seven foot. There was parts where you couldn't touch. But the water was so clear. We took pictures in the cenote, and I have a few on my website. Um, there were pic there were pictures where it looks like I'm walking on the moon, but really, I it's taken underwater, and I'm standing on rocks in this cenote. But 
the water so clear that you can't tell there's water. There's a picture where it just looks like I'm standing on a beach of rocks and then floating in front of me is a random catfish. Did I mention there are fish in the catfish or in the uh, cenote? Yes. There were about two dozen black catfish. Uh, that was all we saw. And then in one corner, I would say the cenote was um, maybe 30 by 30 inside, maybe 20 by 20, something like that. Um, not huge. Um, and it looks like a cave, you know, stalactites, stalagmites. Uh, and then in the corner, there's a big giant black hole. And uh, what we learned is that all of the cenotes are connected. So some of the larger ones, people go in with scuba gear and they go like spelunking. They, they go swimming to go find the other ones. And as I say, when I tell that part of the story, no, thanks. <laughs> Not interested in subterranean scuba diving. Um, it was scary to go down in there. It was creepy. And then when you got down in there, it was, um, it was like being scared and being in the most beautiful place at the same time. It was, there's no light down there other than what's coming in from this hole. And I'm, and I'm telling you, it crossed my mind. Like, you know, we are in Mexico. We're in a place, um, where all four of us don't have phone service. Well, three of us don't have phone service. One doesn't have a phone. <laughs> he left it in Cozumel. Um, you know, if I break my leg down here, I mean, that's it. They're probably just going to leave me. Um, like, how are they going to get me out of this thing? I don't know. How, how far are we from a hospital hours? You know, I like, I don't even know what's going to happen, you know? So, so those thoughts, but you kind of, if you put those thoughts aside for a minute and then you're sitting there and you're like, I am swimming in a cave, you know, 10 feet, 15 feet below the surface of the earth rocks that are millions of years old. And you're looking at it. It's just, it was a, an incredible, amazing experience that I don't know that I, uh, will ever get the opportunity to do again. I don't know that I would do it again, but it was, it was amazing. And that's, that's basically, uh, where I will leave that now. Um, um, when we left, there was a small kitchen area on the property of the cenote. Again, the uh, we learned that the cenote, this one was purchased. The property was purchased. Five families went in together and bought it, and they alternate who runs it and cleans the grounds and things like that. And then they split the income. Um, the the women who were there knew that we were coming, that we had a private tour, and they said they wanted to cook something for us, and they they prepared this lunch called panuchos. I've never heard of panuchos before. I eat a lot of Mexican food, a lot of Tex-Mex food uh, here in Oklahoma. I've never heard of panuchos. And I thought that it was a type of Mexican food, but apparently it is unique to uh, Yucatan. They, uh, the, our guy, Daniel, he said, does anybody have any food allergies? I said, no. He said, I said, what, what is a panucho? And he says, well, it starts with two corn tortillas. And then in between the tortillas, they put refried beans and they deep fry this. And then on top of that, and I go, Daniel, I'm in. <laughs> I said, we're off to such a good start. Like, it's not going to get terrible from there. You know, I mean, we're, this is good, right? Uh, and so then they put on top of that, they put like pickled uh, uh, cabbage and onions and stuff like that. And then they put meat, some sort of meat. And so they brought us plates and on our plates, there were three panuchos to eat. So it'd be like, it, it looked very similar to a tostada. If you've ever seen a tostada. And, uh, he said, uh, 
I said, what, what kind of meat is this? And he goes, uh, this is pork. This is chicken. And uh, this is, and then he just stopped talking. Now, our joke for the day was as we walked to the cenote and back and we're walking down these paths, Daniel walked in front of us so that he could, um, uh, scare away or, or, uh, uh, you know, get these things to move these iguanas. And I'm going to tell you, uh, I mean, we saw iguanas that were the bodies were three feet long. And then with the tail, they're five or six feet long. I mean, they were huge. And they're just sitting there in the sun. They're sitting on the path. They're sitting on the, you know, everywhere. And so he's just shooing them off. And I said, Daniel, I said, is this third Panucho? I said, is this uh, iguana? And then he laughs. He goes, no, no, no. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You go, if this is iguana, you better tell me. And he looks at me. He goes, uh, I'll tell you later. <laughs> and I go, what is it? He goes, uh, it's a, it's a also chicken. <laughs> And I go, okay. So um, it did look a lot like the other chicken one. And so uh, for the story, we're going to say I had one pork and two chicken. But um, if if that third one turned out to be iguana, uh, it really wouldn't surprise me. I will say that they were, um, those panuchos were probably the best things uh, that we ate on the entire, I mean, the sushi would be close, but it, they, they were so good. It was so good. And um, uh, we, we, we gave a couple of tips, um, big tips. Um, we, we actually, for the, the people at the cenote that had done all that and made the food for us, um, I'm just going to tell you, we tipped them 100 bucks. I mean, we spent half a day there. We swam in the cenote. They made us lunch and all this. Um, I looked up online this particular cenote that we visited and uh, – all the, the admission and everything was included in our our tour for the whole day. Uh, admission to this place was $10, but when I read the details, that's $10 Mexican. Uh, U.S., that's $0.50. Cents. So for us to go to this place, like I mean, it, it's not a, a water park, but a, a private swimming hole, and then to come out for these women uh, to cook us all that, U.S. we paid fifty cents a person, you know, and and I didn't know what the price was at the time, um, but we we pulled some money together and left them a tip, and um, Daniel told us later that they don't make a hundred dollars a month, you know, so um, that's one of the things you know that I kind of left on this trip thinking is like, um, like is cruising. Like, is it, is it, is it exploitive is going to these places is going to this private property. You know, I mean, we're these entitled Americans and we go and we swim on their thing and we pay them 50 cents, you know, is that right? I don't know. Like, and does tipping, um, and, and like I said, we over, over tipped, you know, um, but I mean, does that change their life? Does that make it better? Does it make it right? I, I don't know, man. I just have a lot of questions right now that I don't have the answers to, but it really made me think. We also gave Daniel, um, you know, a, a pretty good tip. Uh, and Daniel told us that uh, he used to be a public school teacher and he told us his whole story. He said uh, he used to teach history and he loved teaching history. 
And uh, in in uh, the Yucatan, maybe I don't, I don't want to say all Mexico. That would be like saying all schools in America. I don't know. Um, but in his area, in the Yucatan, I'll say, uh, he said they had school from 7 a.m. until 1 p.m. and there was no breaks for food, and they don't they don't give you food, so they don't give kids a lunch. There's no school lunch. There's no school breakfast. So you eat before you come, and you eat when you get home. He also said there's no air conditioning. Uh, and his class, uh, again, had 55 kids. So he said he's trying, and his uh, history class was the last class of the day. So he had 55 kids in a room that's 90 degrees with some fans trying to teach them history that are all hungry and tired and hot, you know? And he said he quit and he got a job at this tour place and he makes more money as a tour guide than he made as a school teacher. And it's really, in one way, it's a shame because he's, he's uh, uh, such a good guy and enjoys sharing uh, the culture and, and the history and the heritage and stuff. But that kind of came through as a tour guide where we got to see, you know, I mean, but he's sharing it with us and, and, and not kids, you know. So, um, and he, he told us all about the history. And, and uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but the uh, the van ride began from uh, the dock, basically, more or less, of the cruise ship, and took us to Usmal uh, through uh, Merida. I think that's how you say it. It's M-E-R-I-D-A, but I think it's Merida. Um, but but that is um, like 115, 120 kilometers. It's like 75 miles. Uh, and I sat up front. I was... If it's a tour or something, I always try to get in the passenger seat so I could talk to the tour guide, you know. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so we spent a lot of time with them. We got to talk. And, uh, again, here's a funny little thing. When we got in the van, uh, and this is a nice van. It's like a, a like a, a Ram, like a Promaster, you know, big old van. And it's just the four of us. And he had a cooler. And he opens the cooler and he says, I have water and I have Mexican Coca-Cola and I have Tecates. And I was like, you could have a Tecate? And he's like, eh. <laughs> if you remember from my old uh, cruise episode, uh, we went to, on a former cruise, we went to some Mayan ruins. And there was a guy there and he was like sports adventure guy. He was all, he was going to climb everything. He was going to do everything. He was there with his son. And he asked the tour guide, he goes, hey, is it okay if I climb all the way to the top of that pyramid with my kid? We go up there. And uh, the tour guide back then said, you know, in Mexico, there are no rules, merely suggestions. <laughs> I love that. I've quoted it many, many times. And I, that's what I thought of. And I told that to Daniel. He thought it was hilarious. He goes, it's funny. Cause it's a true. <laughs> so we had a great time with Daniel. We went back to the ship. Um, maybe changed people. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, seeing the cenote, seeing the, um, the, the pyramid at Usmal, um, and, uh, learning about the preservation that is going on, you know, uh, by the way, I didn't mention this, but this, the pyramid there is, uh, like 150 feet tall. Uh, and, uh, part of it is crumbling down on the side. And when it crumbled down, what it revealed is a pyramid that's inside it. 
And so they've used they I don't I, I don't know if they've gone all the way inside, but they've used LIDAR. And what they determine is that there's three pyramids. It's a pyramid within a pyramid within a pyramid. And it's the reasoning is because uh, this is a, a holy area. It was built in a very specific area. It points in a very specific direction. Uh, I think it points during the sun, during the solstice or something. Um, but when they built the first pyramid and it started to fall down, they didn't go build a pyramid somewhere else. They just built a pyramid over the top of that pyramid. So it's three pyramids layered in. It's a, I'd, I'd love to know more about it. I will know more about it. It's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating thing to see. So, um, we uh, got back on the cruise. We enjoyed the rest of our time. We spent uh, so much time at the casino that they have offered us uh, a follow-up uh, half price off our next cruise and free drinks as long as we're in the casino. So that's good. That's also bad. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we'll be taking them up on that offer. Um, here's the last thing I want to tell you about. Before we boarded the ship, my buddy Jeff said, so are you going to um, take some pineapples to put on your door? And I said, uh, what are you talking about? And he said, you should Google um, pineapple people on cruise ships. Now, this is something I never heard of before, didn't know anything about. I said, what are you talking about? So I, I, go, I went online to go Google this. And um, apparently, cruise ships are very popular among swingers. And the swingers want to uh, find other swingers, and uh, they don't want to bother other people. And so the way that they identify themselves is they used to put a pineapple, a picture of a pineapple or, or pineapple decorations on the outside of their door. Now, the problem with that is uh, it, it's a very uh, common tradition for people on cruise ships to decorate the outside of their door. My my uh, For my 50th birthday, my wife bought a bunch of birthday decorations that had like cassette tapes and 80s records and things like that. And so she took that and that's what we put on our door. We had the 80s uh, door on our cruise ship. Um. But uh, uh, people, so some people would just put regular pineapples uh, innocently and not, not knowing that there's this uh, subculture of pineapple people. So now the pineapple people put upside down pineapples on their door. So when you see an upside down pineapple on a door, it is uh, very intentional and it means that uh, they're down to clown. So I said, Jeff, this is not a real thing. I've never seen this. This can't be a real thing. So when we got on the cruise ship and began walking up and down the halls of rooms, it's a very real thing. We saw a lot of upside down pineapples on doors, including on the door next to ours. Um, this is going to get PG-13. I won't make it R, uh, but here's what I will say. There was, uh, the people next to us had upside down pineapples on their door. They also had a whiteboard that had times for different things that were written generically. So if you don't know, you don't know. But now that we knew about the upside down pineapples, now we do know. So when you see a sign that says 11 PM, uh, toy time, that has a different connotation than uh, uh, knowing knowing about the pineapple people. And uh, uh, it just so happened that night that I wasn't feeling well, so I went to bed a little early, and when I 
especially on uh, uh, travel and trips, I always sleep with earbuds in. So I didn't hear a thing, but my wife heard things. She heard the pineapple people and she heard their party next door. <clears throat> now, there was another uh, sign we saw at one point that said um, uh, pineapple gathering on the Lido deck uh, on, the, uh, on Friday, on the last sea day. Now, we didn't go to this intentionally, but we had seen this sign. And when we took an elevator to go to the Lido deck that day and got out, on the other side coming up was a man wearing an inflatable pineapple suit, like a Halloween costume that's a pineapple that inflates. You know the kind that you get from a, a novelty store that has like a battery pack with uh, fans inside that inflates. And uh, got my picture with Pineapple Guy. Um, <clears throat> he was definitely one of the pineapple people. Now, I will say one other thing. During uh, one of these scheduled events next to our room, they the people had propped their door open so that people could come uh, and go inside the room uh, without having to knock, you know, uh, you know, prior to, uh, whatever their scheduled event was. So my wife walked by the room real slow just to see if she could see in there. And she happened to have her phone recording and she didn't see anything obscene, but what she did see was some cool, um, neon lights. The main lights were turned off and hanging from the ceiling was a disco ball. <laughs> So here's what I say. Kudos to you, pineapple people. You are having a good time on your cruises. Um, and, um, and by the way, I will say one morning we woke up and went outside and found a upside down pineapple on our door and a mischievous looking Mr. Jeff, not too far away from our room running away. So, uh, fortunately we were not, uh, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, not sure, uh, approached by any pineapple, uh, people, but, uh, um, if, uh, you want to do your own research, go out there and search for pineapples on cruise ships. Um, and I will say that I have a friend who goes on cruises and the shirt that he wears on every cruise is a button down Hawaiian shirt that is covered with, pineapple print. And he said, you know, people have looked at me funny before. And, uh, now after you told me this, I think I know why. So, um, I will not be wearing anything with pineapples on it, uh, <laughs> for the foreseeable future. Uh, on the last day of the ship or the last day of our cruise, um, we were scheduled to arrive in port by 9am on Saturday. There was an announcement Friday night that a passenger was requiring emergency medical service and that we were close enough to where it didn't make sense, I guess, for the Coast Guard to come pick them up. So instead, he was going full steam ahead. And instead of docking at 9 a.m. Uh, in Texas, we got there at 3 a.m. And so they started the disembarkation process early. Again, if you are a suite member and you can carry your own luggage off the ship, uh, you go to a specific place and then at some point they say goodbye and then you leave. We were uh, within the first five to ten people off the ship. We had gone to the suite area. Uh, they said they were going to start letting people off the ship at uh, seven. We were, uh, they let us off at like 645. By seven o'clock we were in the parking lot. We were in the car heading north 
back to the nearest Bucky's. So, uh, great time. We had a great time. We did some new stuff. Uh, things have changed a little bit. We're talking about for our next cruise, which will, won't be for another year or so. We'll have to find something we want to do and then start paying on it. But we're thinking about upgrading a little bit. We like Carnival, but Carnival is like the bottom of the barrel. You know, uh, Carnival's fun, but it is the cheapest. And the one Princess Cruise that we went on was a little bit better. It was a little bit more expensive, but, um, but you know, it felt a little bit more higher class, I guess, just a little bit nicer. Um, and so we're thinking if we do uh, the next one that we do, we may, uh, do that next time. So, man, that's everything that I've got to say about this cruise. I know this was a long episode. I had a lot of, uh, news to get you updated on and a lot of cruise stuff to get off my chest into the microphone and recorded in ones and zeros so they could be delivered to your ears. But thanks uh, for making it all the way to the end of this episode. Uh, that wraps everything up. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at Rob O'Hare at robohare.com. Join the conversation with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Commodore. I'm also pretty active right now on Instagram, also as Commodore, and on Threads as Commodore. So you can find me at those places. You can also find updates on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Uh, if you can always also leave a voicemail on the podcast hotline. That's 405-486-YDKF. This show would not be possible without the support of my Patreons, people like Garrett Allier, Louis Gornfeld, and John Morrison. So if you would like to support my podcast and other creative ventures, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All of my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, random videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, again, visit my page. That is patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. You don't know Flack is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com. To hear more podcasts from me, visit that site, podcast.robohara.com, for links and information about my other shows. Congratulations. If you made it this far, you know a little bit more about Flack and a lot more about the cruising industry. We'll see you here next time.